There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. Coming up on today's rendition of Catch and Shoot, we're talking NBA basketball, but specifically... What's going on with Atlanta and Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks? That team is 10 and 10 right out of the gate, and we're doing it with the one and only. He is the television voice for the Hawks. His name is Bob Rathman. But before we get to all that, we have to welcome in the one and only Otto Strong, who is not taking the Bucks in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, so, who's, so who do you have? <laughs> well, I was going to say, as the editor of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, ha- has your staff submitted their picks yet? Uh, so we're, we're not, we're probably not doing a whole lot of staff picks. It doesn't involve a local team. So, uh, Mahomes is from, uh, Texas originally from, you know, it, so there's a town called White House, Texas, East Texas played his college ball in West Texas, Texas Tech in Lubbock. So you, you might imagine there are a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of Mahomes fans and therefore a whole lot of Chiefs fans, you know, in the area. With Patrick in the Super Bowl, have you learned more about Mahomes than you ever thought that you would? Oh, absolutely. Not, not being a beat reporter covering him. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I met, met his, met his trainer last year. Uh, I, you know, we, we, we talk, I mean, I never thought I would talk to, to, to another person who was not in my family about ketchup for 15 minutes, but we did. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird story, right? <laughs> Dude is, just loves weird. ketchup and he loves yeah. it on a steak. Yeah. He loves right. it on everything. Yeah. It's, so. it's like me with ranch, right? Like I will put ranch on <laughs> anything and everything and I'll eat it all day long. Yeah. But real, but real quick, who are you taking? Oh my God. I, I think I got to this, go this is the official pick. The official pick has got to be chiefs. I mean, like, you know, look, I think like either story is going to be great. You know, Brady wins 43. It'll be a great story. First year with the team, uh, a repeat champion. Uh, you know, it, I mean, the NFL has exactly what I think every league wants. It's like, it's like that baton handing over the baton officially um, because you feel like if Brady doesn't get it done and the Bucks don't get it done this year, like that's, that's it. They're not coming back. Uh, this will be his last Super Bowl. I mean, I, I just can't envision the, the path will lead them you know, back. And then certainly hosting the game, clearly that's not going to happen again. So it feels like the NFL has gotten everything it could possibly want, a full season, a Super Bowl, home, you know, home, you know, Brady's at home for a game. And then the Chiefs will walk away with it. Who's, yeah. you know, what's not, in a high-scoring game with lots of offense. What's not to like? I, I, I love that. I'm, I'm taking Chiefs by 10. I have okay. it. I have it thirty-seven twenty-seven. If that's possible, whatever. It, the The final margin is going to be ten, right? Like that's, <laughs> well, thirty-seven that's... twenty-seven. Last I checked, is still ten. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm just saying, from like a points wise, like yeah, yeah. you know how how that would add up in terms of touchdowns, extra points, two yeah. point conversions. I don't know. 
don't yeah, know. As, as look, as long, it's it's going to be a 10 point difference. That's, yeah, as long that's as what not, I'm going with. Yeah, as long as it's not 11 to 1, I think you're good. <laughs> <laughs> and just full disclosure for anyone who's listening, we taped this interview with Bob Rathbun earlier in the day. What would be a better matchup? Dominique Wilkins and Vince Carter, who's on their telecast this week, or Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady? Ooh. I'm going to say, uh, oh. I, it, it, going, going back to the heyday? Yeah. yeah. Both players uh, in their prime. Uh, in their prime because they could have, you know, they would have been on the floor against one another. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the one thing. Offenses are they're, they're, on the they're two very different players. So. Yeah. And they're not on the field at the same time. So, but I, I think that, I think the whole being on the, on the floor, on, on the, on the field at the same time is, 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 a, is a big difference maker for me. So that's, that's what I'd go. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. All right. You want to talk some Hawks? Let's do it. Let's get to it. And it is my pleasure as we get set to talk a little Atlanta Hawks basketball to welcome in the TV voice of the Hawks. His name is Bob Rathman. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us. Hey, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's start with this. How happy are you just to be calling games again? Oh, thrilled. You know, we were part of the Delete Eight last March. You know, we did not get invited to the bubble. So we have been out a long time. And it's great to finally get back and... You know, we go day by day, as you know, trying to get through this with the minimum number of interruptions. And I think the league has really done a great job so far. You know, we haven't really had virus problems. We've had contact tracing problems. And so far, so good. You know, I think the guys have been uh, really good about this and the coaches and the staff. And uh, if we can keep this going, I think we'll have our season and we'll get through the playoffs and crown a champion. The, the delete eight I, that that is not one that I heard before. Uh, oh, really? That, oh yeah, we we wear that with pride. You know the eight teams that were not invited. Yeah. You know they kind of shoved us off to the side. Uh, you know they made way for Zion Williamson, uh, but not us. So <laughs> sort of stand over here to the side and bide our time. I think it's important for people to understand the you know the steps the league has taken to not only or make sure that the players are safe and they feel secure but also the personnel staff and the working staff that help make NBA games a reality. Can you just take us through what a typical day is like in the NBA now, as far as from a testing standpoint, as far as from maybe a social distancing standpoint, just to make sure, because a lot of people will read, you know, they had so many positive tests today, but what they don't realize are all the other layers that go into this for the NBA that is trying to make sure that they uh, keep their players safe. Mm -hmm. It's a very elaborate testing system and very expensive. And this is something that the league is more than willing to incur to keep this enterprise afloat. Um, for the fans, uh, if you were to come to a game in those arenas where we do allow fans, you will see the arena broken into three different and distinct sections. You will see a red zone, which is for the referees, coaches and the players, those personnel that are on the floor. Then there is a yellow section, uh, a yellow zone. And basically that's the media where the radio and TV and the writers are, are taken to a special uh, section in the arena. And then there's the green zone, which is going to be your socially distanced uh, seating arrangements. Now, last night the Hawks had the Lakers in town and by state law and city ordinance, they could only have 10% capacity. 
And I think the final count was like 1300 and change uh, that were allowed in and everybody in state farm arena last night spaced out. It did not seem like there were 10 people there. You know, you put 1300 people in a 17,000 seat building spaced out. It just doesn't look that, that big of a crowd. Uh, but that's what you'll see. And for the people on the red zone, uh, there's no interaction whatsoever with people outside of that red zone. You know, no one from the media can go down. Uh, even those fans that are sitting on the floor have to be tested. Uh, they have to pass a test to get in. Uh, the other fans do not. So uh, there is a strict criteria uh, that has to be met to keep everybody at bay. And then it's, you know, the usual all the guidelines that we've heard since March, which is, you know, the masks, social distancing, washing hands, all of that uh, to keep everybody safe. But uh, the players are tested twice a day. Uh, many of them have to go in early in the morning or late at night uh, to be tested. They want to keep it on sort of a 12 hour clock uh, to, to make sure that there are no positive tests because they found uh, as we all have, as the world has found out that this is so contagious uh, that it, it passes so quickly and you know, they just want to stay on top of it. So the daily testing is something that they've had to adjust on the fly. Uh, our guys early in the season would have a rapid test where they would uh, take the saliva test first thing when they got to the uh, training facility in the morning and they had to go sit in their cars for 30 minutes to 45 minutes to get the results back, then go inside and then have their regular test, you know, the nasal swab and, and do all that. So it's pretty elaborate, pretty time consuming. Uh, I have not been subject to testing, so I really can't empathize with them. But it sounds horrific, and it, the travel that they're going through um, doesn't sound like much fun to me. You know, for somebody who's been on the road covering games, uh, you know, for forty plus years, to go into a hotel side entrance, up a freight elevator, banished to your room, you can't go outside. You know, if you do have a meal, it's going to be either delivered to your room, picked up at a ballroom, or you're going to be spaced out so you'd have to use a megaphone to talk to somebody. Uh, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. So for the fans, uh, just a little inkling as to what the guys are going through. Oh, that, that's, that's interesting. A lot of times I think people don't realize all that goes into an NBA, NBA production. Um, now, obviously, you had mentioned the Lakers were in town. Uh, they, they won 107.99 Monday night. Uh, but there was an incident that happened during the game that, that got a lot of attention. Yes. Uh, were, uh, before, so were you, were you were there. Did you, how much of it did you see? And can you, can you kind of walk through, walk us through what, what you saw sure. transpire? Well, you never ball. know when the social media circus is coming to your town and it came to Atlanta last night. Uh, we, as I mentioned, we have fans on the floor and, uh, you know, in an empty building, the players can hear what you're saying and vice versa. And apparently LeBron got into it with a couple of our season ticket holders. There was a group, a cluster, I think of four. There's a, a husband and wife, and I guess some friends were there and they got into it with LeBron. Uh, not that LeBron in 18 years hasn't heard anything like this before, but you know, it rings out when there's nobody else, there's no crowd noise. So we, all we saw really from where we were broadcasting, we were up across the court from where it was happening. Uh, the only thing that we could really see was like, 
the referees come over and there's something going on, but you can't really tell what's happening. Now we had, you know, we put our camera on it and we could see that there was a little back and forth going on, but what, what we did not see later when play resumed was when the fans were escorted out. Now we could see them going out the hallway, but we didn't know what precipitated uh, them getting ejected. Uh, I can't believe that just a, the banter back and forth merited an ejection. And even LeBron said after the game, he didn't think the fans should have been tossed out, but they both said what they wanted to say. And I guess it got a little heated and uh, the ref stepped in and the security people stepped in and that was that. So, uh, you know, find out more, dial into your favorite social <laughs> media platform and you can listen to the combatants talk about it. But, but, but Bob, that's a really good point. You know, the, the NBA is one of the few sports where fans have the proximity that they do to players. You know, it, it's part of the allure of going to an NBA game. Does that surprise you with how empty these arenas are, whether it's at the college game or the NBA game, that we haven't had more instances like this because fans are vocal during games. Right. Players are vocal during games. I'm surprised yeah. this is really the well, first there's, instance. There's very few, Aaron, that have fans. You know, many of our arenas don't. Uh, I think we may be up to... And don't hold me to this number, but I think there's like seven, eight, maybe nine arenas out of 29 that are allowing fans. So as the arenas open up, as the vaccine comes and becomes more effective and more people get it, I think you'll see more and more arenas open. And so you'll see more incidents of this, particularly if they let the fans get down to the floor like we do. So uh, it's coming. It's just a matter of time, but it's, it's nothing that these guys haven't heard before. What, what the difference is, is now you don't have 18,000 people screaming and hollering and you might not be able to hear that leather lung who's sitting five rows back. Well, now you can. And so I think you'll probably see a little bit more of this all part of the show. All in, part of the show. In uh, I was watching some of the, the uh, I think it was Mavericks at Utah they had fans, but the fans were not down what would be considered courtside. Unlike the Hawks, where they were sitting courtside, they, in Utah, they were kind of up a bit. And Utah, we all know, is a place where there are some spirited fans. Oh, and so, and so, and so like, uh, But I want to ask Aaron a quick question. Do, do you know, are the fans in Florida, Orlando, are they, are they kind of courtside as well? Or are they, yeah, are they... So, so in Orlando, they are courtside. Uh, I also believe the Raptors at Amelie are allowing fans right now. And then I believe down in Miami, they have a little bit more of a um, stricter uh, guidelines than we do here in the city. Beautiful. But I believe all three fan or all three arenas are allowing fans. And I, when you say courtside, it's courtside with quotation marks, because there's a, at our building, there's a big red line that is probably a good 10, 15 feet off the court uh, that the fans cannot cross. So it's, it's on the floor seating. I wouldn't say courtside. That kind of gives you the impression that it's like Spike Lee, you know, at the garden. Uh, it's not that at all. You're back recessed because there are no seats there uh, except for these fans. So you go all the way back in most buildings to the hockey boards. Um, and the court, you know, is, is a ways away from you. All right, Bob, now's the time. Let's go ahead and talk about your Hawks. Cause I love the season you guys are putting together. I love the campaign that you're having. I think this Hawks team is finally starting to take off with some of the young talent mixed in with 
we haven't gotten to really see the free agent signings and the money that was spent over the course of the offseason for the Hawks because of some of the injuries. But le- but let's take a look at the squad. 10 and 10, six in the Eastern Conference. I think if you would have asked a lot of people, you're probably happy with that. But does it feel like you haven't gotten to watch the whole picture yet? You haven't seen the whole movie of what this Hawks team can really do because there have been so many nights where you're missing two or three different guys. That's been frustrating. Um, you know, you have to peel back the onion a little uh, on the 10 and 10 to see just what's going on. Yeah. You know, our last six wins have been against Minnesota twice, Detroit, Washington, uh, the Delaware Blue Coats. Uh, I mean, Philadelphia, when they were in the middle of their COVID. <laughs> but, but, but at the same and time, you, you just have to play your schedule. You know, it doesn't matter oh, yeah, who you but, win. You I play mean, your schedule. On. I mean, we were, they were starting guys that they released like three days later. Yeah. Um, and then we got the Clippers when they sat down uh, Kawhi and PG. So the schedule has worked in our favor. Okay. We still haven't won a game yet this season decided by six or fewer. Um you know, our record against winning teams is not very impressive. So there's work to do. That said, we haven't had the crew that we thought we were going to have. Um, We knew coming in uh, with the late draft and late free agent signings that some of the guys that we were taking uh, still were on the mend. Uh, Chris Dunn, one of them, you know, we had two goals in the off season to get better shooting and to get better defenders. And so the guys that we brought in uh, did one or the other. And some of the better defensive players that we've asked to come in have not yet played. Uh, Akongwu, our lottery pick, hasn't barely gotten on the floor because he was coming back from a toe injury. The two shooters that we had haven't played much. Uh, Gallinari missed two and a half weeks with a twisted ankle. He's just now getting back. And uh, uh, Bogdanovich, who came to us after that fiasco with the Milwaukee, Uh, you know, he's been great, except he banged knees in Charlotte about three weeks ago with, um, uh, or injured his knee, I should say, didn't bang knees, but he injured his knee. And so he's out with a fracture, a little avulsion fracture in his knee. So he's out probably a month, but that'll probably be more than that. So those are two key guys that would be rotational guys off the bench that you've been missing. So, um, The good news is uh, they're all coming back and they're going to be in the fold shortly and in the big scheme of things. And then, you know, the, we've dropped some games that we probably could have won with them. What would bolster a 10 and 10, but by the same token, we've got to show that we can be with, stay with beat teams that are as good as you or better than you. And last night was a classic example. Um, the Lakers on the last game of a trip, a bit fatigued. They're ready to get on the charter and get home. Uh, I thought they kind of had it on cruise control for three quarters. Cam did a very nice job. We missed DeAndre Hunter last night. Yeah. Uh, Cam did a very good job, I thought, defending LeBron until it was time to win the game. And then they kick it into another gear, as the great players do, and the Lakers you know, go on and, and win the game. So that's sort of a long-winded state of the union. Uh, we're still a work in progress. These are basically uh, the same guys we've had the last two years with the addition of Clint Capella, who's been a godsend. Thank you, Houston. Um, he's been terrific. Uh, but basically, it's the same team with Capella. And young guys that have had zero success in winning games the last two years, uh, they've got to learn how to win. And that is a very painful process for young teams in the NBA. 
Uh, there are a couple. So there are a couple of players. Uh, like you said, it's mostly the same squad. Trey Young is a guy who intrigues me. I want you to talk a little bit about about him and where you think his maturation you know, can go. But one of the other guys that they brought in, uh, Ray John Rondo, who for me is the guy that I I followed for you know going back to the to the Celtics years, uh, and just. I, in the right setting, he could do so many things. So if you, if you could kind of talk about the two of them and how that, how those guys uh, are getting on as teammates, I'd be curious about that. Well, first and foremost with Rondo, you know, he's tormented us, you know, forever. And uh, particularly when he was in Boston and to have him our, on our side is really kind of weird, you know, to see, you know, public enemy number one down there <laughs> when he was in Boston. Um, you know, I was shocked that Rondo decided to come. I thought for sure he would go back to the Lakers. You know, he'd been there. He's comfortable. It fit in great. Uh, but they made their moves, right? And here comes Schroeder, and, and Rondo decides to come to us. I think if we can get to the playoffs, and certainly we'll be in the top 10 to make the play-in, uh, it would really be bad if we didn't make the top 10. Uh, you know, then you get to play him in a playoff game where he excels. And I think you'll really get an advantage with a guy like Rondo to guide these guys through these, that first playoff experience as for, and, and, you know, he's slowing down, you know, the, the, the injuries are, they had taken, instead of taking one game to get back, maybe it takes you two or three, but I think uh, long view, he'll be great in the playoffs. Trey, on the other hand, I, I think what, what's happening with Trey, the first two years, he sort of became the face of the franchise because of the amazing numbers that he put up, the depth of his shooting, uh, the ungodly passing, you know, all of those things gained, gained him uh, an attention uh, that really caught a lot of us by surprise. Yeah. Not the fact that he didn't do it at Oklahoma and, and played that way, certainly in high school and coming along, but to translate that at his size so quickly to the NBA was rather amazing. Uh, to be an all-star starter, your second year in the league on a losing team is pretty amazing. Um, I think he's captured the fancy of, of young people. And by young, I mean, really young, like, you know, 12, 13, 14, because he looks like them, you know, he's, he's slight of build. Uh, he could do amazing things. He's kind of cut from that Steph Curry cloth in a way uh, with the depths of the shooting. Uh, so immensely popular very soon. But that said, uh, the first two years, he did not play one meaningful second uh, in the NBA, meaningful in regards to winning basketball games. There was no pressure on us to win. But at the end of last season, Lloyd uh, Pierce, our coach, said unprompted, at the end of a media session toward the end, right before the shutdown, what we're going to be a playoff team. We think we have what it takes to be a playoff team next season. Well, everybody's sort of like, really? Okay. I mean, this is a team that's 27 games under 500 last year. Are we really ready to make that leap? Because we hadn't, you know, we traded for Capella, but he didn't play for us. Yeah. Didn't know what we had. And we still had a pot full of money, but it was unspent at that time. So, transition now ahead how does trey become uh the leader does he alter the way that he plays the game how does he make his teammates better for the first time you're asking him to play with veterans you know when healthy you know the the bogdanoviches and the gallinari's and people like that 
And how is this dance going to work with Capella and Collins? Because Trey had John as his tag team partner. And now you got two guys that do basically the same thing on the pick and roll. So uh, this is a very long-winded answer. I'm, I'm sorry to your no, question. Great. I, do, I do think it sets the stage for where do we find Trey at this stage of his growth and development as a point guard. And I would say that we are still trying to figure that out. Uh, Trey is obviously a big scorer. Uh, he's gotten to the free throw line this year at an uncanny rate, particularly the last two, three weeks. Uh, it's, it's a weapon of his, you know, he's got all the moves to draw those fouls. You know, if, if he raises his eyebrows, generally the defender will jump out of the gym and he just waits. And as soon as that guy jumps, boom, he's into him to get the shooting foul or to get, to get a foul. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. You know, he does that a lot. I think what we're, we're seeing with Trey is how does he alter that offense at the same time? How does he make Hunter better? How does he make Herter better? How does he make Cam Reddish better? Collins, Capella. When he's in the game with the second unit guys, how does he get the ball to Gallinari when he needs it, where he needs it? Same for Bogdanovich. You know, how does that all happen? It blew over about a month ago uh, with a film session with John Collins stepped up and said, and it, it became public, as you know, you know, we're not happy with the way you're running the offense. So I think we're at that stage. The natural growth pattern is, okay, how do you adjust? How do you start winning games and making your teammates better? And I think that's probably a question that's been faced by every point guard, a scoring point guard in the history of the NBA. And we're no different. And he's a young guy that's still learning you know, very much loves the attention and the adulation and all that. But now because of his coach ratcheting up the pressure a bit uh, in terms of making the postseason, how do you do that in win games when you have no reservoir of winning basketball for the two years you've been in the league? So that's kind of where we are, Trey. Uh, and I think so far so good, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the guys – uh, put the blow up of Collins to the side. Most thought, in fact, I think everybody that's been asked about it thought it was overblown. It's just sort of one of those things that uh, goes on behind closed doors that every team goes through. It's just our happen to get out in the public. Uh, but I think he's doing okay. You know, I think there's still room for growth. If you look at the fourth quarter last night, uh, the start of the fourth quarter was dreadful. Uh, three missed, not him totally, but the team, three missed shots, turnovers, a 16-0 run that spanned the two quarters, put the Hawks behind the eight ball. Now they rallied, cut it to one, but still uh, mistakes were made. And those, I think, were mistakes of leadership uh, on the floor. And that that's the next level, you know. You got to break through the, the, the sort of the AAU mindset, the college mindset where it really doesn't matter whether we win or lose is another game at four o'clock. You know, you've got to understand that if you're going to get to the postseason, you're going to be playing high stakes playoff games. Okay. And what are you going to do in the fourth quarter when they get you in a pick and roll with a bigger guy and punish you because of your size? How are you going to adjust to that? Because if you don't, 
how are you going to win meaningful games? So I think that's kind of where we are with Trey. What's the relationship been like between him and Rondo? And, you know, was the initial idea that Rondo would come in and be a bit of a mentor to him in these early parts of the campaign? Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly why he was, was here. And, and good for Rondo. He wants to be a coach. Uh, he very much now enjoys that side of it. Uh, at this stage of his career, he's looking to, to do that, I think, as his next move, either that or be a GM. Um, so it's great. And he's got a lot of wisdom, but we had a lot of wisdom with Vince Carter the previous two years and Vince who's joining us for the broadcast. I think there's like 10 games where he's going to be with us. He was with us last night and Vince will say, even on the air, he'll say, you know, I said this to him. He didn't listen, but I said this, blah, blah, blah. So we got to get through, you know, and make that transformation into winning meaningful basketball. What is Trey? I mean, if you could, what is Trey like in terms of, um, you know, is he, is he that you see, you, do you think he's like that hungry kind of alpha, alpha male guy, or do you think he's, or is he kind of more of a, uh, I'm talking personality wise, not necessarily on the floor. What, what's, what's, how does he strike you? Oh, I like him. I like yeah. him a lot. I, you know, now this year, of course I can't be around him. You know, I'm a guy that lives at practice and, you know, I can't go into the building. So, uh, I'm basing it up to March 11th <laughs> of last year, but I like him very much. Um, I think he's got a nice personality. He's a good kid. Um, I like him a lot, uh, but Trey has played the same way his entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back and look at him in high school, uh, he plays the same way, played the same way at Oklahoma. He has to shoot from 30 feet to compensate for his size. He cannot run up to the three-point line because they'll be there. A bigger guy is there waiting for him, and he have a hard time getting a shot off. Uh, He's got all the junk because that's how he can can get to the line and score. Uh, His vision, and I mentioned this when he was a rookie, reminded me of Pete Maravich, Uh, particularly here in Atlanta. That resonates because, you know, Pete was with us. Um, But – those kinds of passes, the no looks, the on the move that nobody else in the building can see the pass, but him, uh, ungodly passing. And it's very easy. It's 16 assists last night, you know, against the Lakers. So he's got some talent and I think he uses it well. He spreads it around. I think the challenge for Trey, uh, as we talked about is going to be, how do you develop your leadership capabilities? How do you lead men, you know, as a 21, 22 year old kid, uh, that's still feeling his way around the NBA in terms of playing winning basketball. So I think that's the next challenge for Trey, but I like him a lot. Bob, we can get you out of this one. I, I didn't realize, I knew that Vince was going to do games with you guys this year. I didn't realize yeah. yesterday was one that he did. How uh-huh. different was that for you? I mean, you've done games with Dominique Wilkins for years. It's been one of the great telecasts to have you two on there. How different was that for you looking, looking over and having him there with you? It was great. It was a three-man booth. So we had Nick and Vince. Oh, they were both there. That's awesome. They were both there last night and uh, they're going to be there tomorrow night for the Dallas game. Uh, It's great. I mean, just, you just wind them up and let those two go. (laughs) They start, you know, telling stories. And I remember that and they do it with good humor. uh, A lot of fun. They can be serious, obviously when the game is serious. uh, But a lot of times, you know, they're yucking it up. Like we had a replay last night. Uh, The officials were trying to determine 
I don't know what it was out of bounds or whatever it was block charge, whatever. And Nick prides himself and always getting them right. Well, he missed this one and Vince was all over him and it was great. And I said, well, you know, come on, Vince is uh, Nick's glasses fogged up there for a second. He didn't quite get a good look at that replay. And then we had another one later and he got it right. So we, we just had a great time. And, so- uh, so it's been a lot of fun. I, I got to ask. So like I'm, when I'm seeing with those two guys together, I'm, obviously there's an age difference, but I'm also seeing like there's that scene at the end of Rocky where, where it's just Apollo Creed and, and, and Sly. Right. Like if they had their own dunk contest, obviously, you know, ages, but if they had their own dunk contest in the gym without anybody around, <laughs> you know, who, who, who would have, who would have won? I'm not going to put you on the spot. But I, yeah, you that, I but, tell you what, it'd be hard, right? Yeah. Um, Nick says that he won four dunk contests, but only got credit for two. You know, he got, he got hosed in Chicago. Yeah. And he well. clearly won. And then going to get hosed you know, in Chicago. Then, yeah. Especially yeah like that, that's never happened before. Right. <laughs> right. By anyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was right in Dallas. Uh, yeah. You know, it was Webb, you mm-hmm. know, got the hometown vote mm-hmm. uh, and beat it, but he was happy for Spud because of his teammate. Of course. So, uh, but Nick kids about that, but you know, you talk about, here's the the thing about working with these guys and yeah, they're, they're difference in age, but they're kindred spirits in a lot of ways because both guys brought it every night. And I think Vince just stepped aside, but it's been a generation since Nick played. And I don't think younger people really, and I say younger, I mean like twenties and thirties really appreciate uh, how hard Nick played, yeah. uh, you know, all these people like Mello's getting ready to pass on the scoring list. Well, these guys are past him to play 18, 19 years, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, Nick got to 27,000 points in 12 and a half and without, know, the, without the three ball, without the, you know, predominantly speaking yeah, without yeah. the three ball. So um, I know that kind of sticks in his craw a little bit, but they have no concept of load management. They have no concept of not playing every game, not wanting to play every game. Nick will say, I couldn't take a night off because I felt I was letting my teammates down. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Nick would get 20 and everybody says, well, what's wrong with Nick tonight? <laughs> he only got 20, you know, they, he has no, no concept of what these players today, like, you know, get paid for 82 and play 60. They, he just doesn't. That does not compute. And the same way, I think, with Vince in a lot of regards. You know, Vince, the two years he was with us. Now, he's at the end of the line, right? The first guy off the first bus, first guy to get dressed, first guy on the court to shoot. And I know that because I was on the first bus. (laughs) And I would watch him run from the back, get off the bus, and he's setting an example for our guys, and that's, that's the way he operated. I'll never forget. We were in, where were we? Somewhere on the road. And we had one of those guys, one of those 10 day guys with us, you know, just up and down and gone. Yeah. And Vince is the first one in the locker room. First one getting changed. And this guy's locker is not next to Vince, but it's close. And he spent the whole time on his phone mm. while I'm standing there in the locker room. And so, and I probably shouldn't have done this, but I walk over to him. I said, excuse me, sitting next to you is Vince Carter. Vince Carter, 22 years 
at this. He's still the first guy here. You might want to put your phone down and ask him for a little bit of wisdom if you want more than a 10-day contract in the NBA. And I just, like, you know, Vince would say, I tried to impart the knowledge. And we had Vince on an interview last year, and he was saying, you know, the mentor role that we talked about earlier with Rondo. And he was saying, you know, the lessons that I'm trying to impart on these guys will not kick in until they make the playoffs. He said, right now, they're just running and learning and playing. Doesn't really resonate, but it will. And I'll be gone. But these lessons, they won't, they won't understand until, you know, they get into to big stakes games. Bob, that was tremendous. Um, and that is a great just kind of a bird's eye view of the character that Vince Carter has. You know, a lot of people think of him as an all-star NBA basketball player, right? Tremendous dunker. They don't realize just how good of a person he actually is. I mean, he, he came to a handful of Orlando magic games, you know, as a member of the Hawks, he'd always stop by. He would talk to our personnel staff because he had a history with the magic. You know, he grew up right down the road, road in Polk County. Um, So or no, Daytona, Daytona. I was thinking of Daytona Beach, yeah. For, yeah, Daytona his Beach. High school, I, was, I was thinking of Tracy McGrady for a second. He grew up in Polk County. His high school right across the street from the racetrack. Yeah. He said he loved Speed Week because the Friday of Daytona 500 week, they got out of school at noon because the traffic was so bad. He said we loved when the races came. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. We love hearing these things. We love talking about the Hawks and Trey. And, you know, I'm happy for you that you get to broadcast, you know, the next night between those two legends. That's, that's it, pretty tremendous. Guys, it beats working for a living. <laughs> Believe me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bob. You're welcome, guys. Anytime. That was dope. Oh man, Bob was great. I mean, we could we could have gone all day talking about. It. I, there were some like some spud web spud web questions I would have asked him, but but the but in the interest of time. So so here's the thing: Atlanta is in the news for a couple of reasons, and another one is that they may actually host an All Star game. Uh, Indianapolis was supposed to be the host, and they would have hosted on Valentine's Day, February 14th, but for. Uh, COVID-19, you know, that's not going to happen. But now there's a groundswell around the All-Star game actually actually occurring and being in Atlanta. And so what I wanted to ask you was that you were at the All-Star game last year. You saw and had a you know, front row seat, so to speak, for the fourth quarter, which was bonkers and insane and amazing. And so I kind of want to get your feeling on that and also if you could envision that being played in an empty arena. One. I have a lot of anxiety about the fact that I was in an arena with <laughs> 25,000 people now. Like just thinking about that happening and being that close to people now, it's like, oh, why don't we wear a mask? You know, why, yeah. why aren't we there? But no, I, so I, if they're going to play this, I think this has to be played like a traditional NBA basketball game. Because part of the reason that made that ending so much fun was the fans were into it, you know, and when the fans are into it, the players feed off that energy and, you know, you have Kyle Lowry taking charges and he's getting applauded because people are excited about what's going on. You have Giannis going head to head with LeBron and, you know, I, I don't think at any point in the fourth quarter, they even had substitutions. I think that just, they just completely played it out. And so that was the perfect culmination of a wonderful all-star weekend. Like, I mean, you remember it, the dunk contest was great. Um, Aaron Gordon got robbed. I'm 100% okay saying that by Dwayne Wade. You had a great basketball game, a fun weekend in Chicago with it being there for the first time since, you know, one of the all-time great slam dunk contests. 
And so it all just culminated perfectly into like this one night at the United Center. But I don't think you can ask players to try and put that much energy and effort into an empty arena, into a condensed all-star weekend. Because remember, they were going to have another week off after that. Right. They're not they're not getting that that uh, extra time off this year because of the condensed schedule and, and let alone the travel restrictions are still there. So you have these players who are going to be confined to their rooms. They're having to go to Atlanta just to be in this game and they can't do anything. Yeah, but do you want like do you want to have people come players come from all over and just, you know, just have like a glorified like layup line? I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either if you're going to go through the motions so why not do what the nfl did esports is incredibly popular Mm -hmm. 2k is one of the most well-known social games out there like like people play with each other across the country they play with their friends you know they invite them into courts and rooms why not have every all-star be their own avatar And, and it's a big thing in the nba right like what is your rating on 2k how do you get better why not have them play as their avatars, have a virtual game and not put these players at risk? Like this is the year to do different things, right? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think there are any actual all-stars who would, who would not be able to play as well as themselves? <laughs> oh, LeBron, LeBron. Like there's, there's, I love LeBron. Is he 35 now? He's 35 now, right? Like like that's what he is. 35 year old LeBron's not as good with the sticks as like a 23 year old Trey Young, right? (laughs) I have a feeling, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like Dame Dollar could be just as good. Oh, absolutely. On 2K. There's not a thing in this world that Dame Dollar's not good at. Yeah. Like I'm fine saying that. Like stud basketball player, good rapper, you know? Dude's great at everything. I wish I was like that. Yeah. Ah, well, this was a fun show, man. Yeah, this was good. This time. Was good. This yeah, good we got to catch up with Bob. We got to, uh, you know, talk some hawks. You got anything else? I, I, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting the popcorn. I'm getting the soda. I'll be all ready for for Sunday. Whatever, whatever kickoff time. What's, your, what, your, what's your side of choice, real quick? What's your side point? of choice? Side of yeah. choice. You mean like, uh, uh, you mean so, like, so like favorite Super Bowl dish? What are you bringing? What am I bringing? Shit. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I'd probably be like a, like a pizza for me. It's a pizza. It's like a pizza? I, if I, if I have a, if I have a, if I have a good brick oven pizza, mm. you know, not, not, you know, uh, thin Sicilians, crisp crust, throw some meatballs and some, some roasted peppers on there. You, you got, you got me. I'm a Buffalo dip type of guy. Of course you, with ranch, you know, oh, absolutely. I, actually, actually you probably get the wings just so you can have the ranch <laughs> or you, or you the dude in the corner, just drinking the ranch. Oh, I'm the dude in the corner, just drinking the ranch. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll leave everybody with that image. <laughs> so that's been another edition of Catcher Two Two Point I Want to thank our producer uh, Scott Turkin uh, and uh, our other producer, Big Boss Bruce Bruce Bernstein, as well as our editor Tom Phillip. And just a reminder, if you like what we're doing here on Pure Hoops Media, check out all of our other shows. Monday through Friday, we got you covered. Mike Weiss show airs on Monday. Tuesdays, we have our very own Ginny Fisher, who is inside the G League bubble, Auto. 
She's what? there. She's reporting. She's there for the entire time. You can catch her show full court with Fisher and Kay. As you know, Wednesdays is where you get your NBA news and nuggets with Otto and myself right here on Catch and Shoot 2.0. Thursdays, it's buckets, boards, and blocks. Monica McNutt and King McCord, they cover it all. You know, Monica touches on the NBA. They cover Baylor basketball, who's really good. They cover women's basketball. So you kind of get basketball from all layers right there. And then we round things out with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Otto. Am I forgetting anything else? The uh, only thing you're forgetting is to remind everybody to wash your hands, social distance, uh, and uh, you know, ranch cannot be used as Purell. I'll just say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Until next week, guys. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.